way we treated many Americans was horrible. But if you think of how we treated African-Americans in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, think about how we pe treated people outside of the United States. Yes. Something like that. They Plowshare and those projects were always done in a way where people still got affected by it, you know, the downwinders and groups like that. But they weren't going to drop it on something that was like immediately next to communities of people, whereas like the Panama Canal widening it with an atomic weapon is just genuinely a dumb evil idea yes and while the canal was being built and as it was being maintained there were you know pretty frequent killings of workers and, and yes. putting down protests and things like that so really fraught relations there because panama became a de facto colony of the united states and still is to this day quite frankly but what was interesting about that is the actual um the treaty itself was supported largely by members of the intelligence and national security communities because it would de-escalate tensions with Panama's leader, um, Omar Torrijos. Um, however, once again, this becomes a, a point of attack for the far right, specifically the CPD and groups like that. Um, in Peddlers of Crisis, Saunders notes that um, members of the emerging new right, um, people like um, the CPD, uh, who allied themselves with evangelical figure Paul Weyrich and direct mailing guru, uh, Richard Vigory, um, they attacked Carter on the canal. Vigory specifically sent out somewhere between seven to nine million pieces of direct mail to oppose the Senate's um, ratification of the treaty. And I thought you were Carter... talking about the swamp rabbit. Oh, no, I haven't gone there. <laughs> they sent the tactical rabbit. Uh, so even though Carter did ultimately get the treaty and it was something that the intelligence community wanted, it was a sign of weakness because it showed that we were giving away something that we controlled. We were giving away um, the image that we controlled the Western Hemisphere. I believe someone like Strom Thurmond said something to the effect of, and Strom Thurmond, obviously an evil figure. Great guy. He said something, great guy. We bought for it. We paid for it. We own it. So like that was the perception. It, it reminds me of like, like the turnover yeah. of Hong Kong, like the return of Hong Kong yes. from the British to back to China. Like it's same same sentiment. It was just purely a symbol of Western power, but it was something we needed to maintain. So you see this continuing tension between the growing forces of neoliberalism and the already powerful neocon wing of the party. These, you know, far right crazy people who really never want to show any sign of weakness. They never want to negotiate. Diplomacy has no role in government. Um, what is might is right is essentially what their viewpoint is. Yeah, and the OAS is just an arm of of American power, and you know exactly. this is the point where they kind of come into their come into their own because the OAS charter was forty eight, and then it take, and then you know Panama becomes the breeding ground for like as as Taiwan is to East Asian uh, like anti communist interventions. That's what Panama is to Latin American, and there's the Latin America, and there's the School of the Americas, all that shit. So as a lot of you will recall, Aaron and I did a massive series on Indonesia, its role in JFK's downfall, and how the U.S. directly orchestrated Sukarno's overthrowing and the PKI genocide, which killed between half a million to three million Indonesian leftists and peasants. And these horrors are still ongoing when Carter enters office. So following Indonesia's 1975 invasion of East Timor, Carter continues to arm Indonesia's army and dictate dictatorship, as well as give diplomatic support. They vetoed uh, the UN resolutions to end the atrocities in the former Portuguese colony. Uh, and this war eventually killed more than 200,000 East Timorese. And it was uh, the worst genocide relative to population since World War II. 
Carter did nothing to pressure Suharto to end the war. He was an ally and a major supporter of the Indonesian's military's repression of its own population, as well as the wholesale slaughter of East Timorese people. And so the army's murderous stranglehold on East Timor will continue as long as the ruling military clique of Indonesia lets transnational oil companies, like those we talked about in uh, me and Aaron's series, have a good share of East Timorese oil profits. So we are starting to see the cascading effects from the coup that happened 10 years ago. And it's just horrific. Um, and to this day is horrific. Um, but one of the biggest uh, early developments in Carter's presidency is his attempt to withdraw from South Korea. And South Korea is such a touch point of Cold War politics in Southeast Asia, but I feel like doesn't get enough attention in uh, you know, our, our circles. And his, uh, his plan to withdraw from Korea perfectly kind of encapsulates an administration caught between its commitment to human rights, Christian ethics, and maintaining the critical economic and military ties that the US has with South Korea and Japan by extension. So what parties have a vested interest in keeping troops on the ground and Chun Doo-wan's ascension to power, uh, the military dictator. So background here is in 1976, two American soldiers are axed to death in the DMZ, the demilitarized zone on the border between North and South. And then later a scandal happens, again, another scandal that Carter just uh, has to <laughs> get slapped in the face with when he comes into office, but the Koreagate scandal where South Korean lobbyists and intelligence officers got caught bribing American politicians for more favorable policies towards South Korea. So on the campaign trail, Carter promised uh, to withdraw all 40,000 US troops and the 700 nuclear weapons that were posted in by South Korea, which were essentially placed as a deterrent for a North Korean invasion. And he also denounced dictator Park Chung-hee, and he said, it should be made clear to the South Korean government that its internal oppression is repugnant to our people and undermines the support of our commitment there. And publicly, um, after the Koreagate scandal, uh, US support of South Korea became deeply unpopular. So there was this real opportunity for Carter to uh, minimize our presence there or do away with it um, altogether. But if you know anything about Cold War politics during this time, you understand that that's just simply not going happen. to happen. Yep. Um, so Park Chung-hee had dissidents in Britain. And there's you know a series of dictators in South Korea that the US installs and they're torturing leftists and killing leftists and killing Christians. And so Carter has a personal involvement um, from that. And Chung-hee you know, personally targeted Catholic priests, um, which made the issue especially important to Carter. And a 1976 Harris poll, which he used to justify his troop withdrawal decision, indicated that only 14% of Americans favored US involvement if North Korea attacked South Korea. Like, they don't even care. Like, they don't want to support North the, the South in peacetime, quote unquote. Um, but they don't even care if they get invaded, which like, I don't know. Uh, mind you, North Korea's economy was actually much stronger than South Korea's until the six-year plan of the mid-1970s left the North in a lot of debt. Uh, North Korea was seen as the developed half of Korea under Japanese occupation, and it contained most of the industry and 90% of publishing facilities. Um, actually, a lot of South Koreans were illiterate up to this time. Um, but under strict Japanese supervision, Koreans in the North were trained as skilled workers, factory laborers, and miners, while those in the rural South were largely illiterate peasantry. Um, so the South government went to great lengths to suppress this information, 
but South Koreans were still mostly aware that the North had a better quality of life and enjoyed, enjoyed more personal freedoms until around the time of the six-year plan. A lot of people don't know that. They think that North Korea was always just a destitute hellhole, and that is not even remotely the case. Um, but inefficiencies of North Korea's command economy did not fully come to a head until the late 1980s, meaning there was still pretty hearty competition between the two nations. Although perennial famine and drought in the 1990s combined with the collapse of the USSR set back, set back North Korea by a lot. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.